0: Welcome to the Connect Church podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine.
1: On earth and with this breath, the longest life that we can ever hope to live is still temporary. And so this, this temporary life leads us to one of two places, life with God or life eternal in the lake of fire. Both of those lives are eternal. This, this temporary path that we're on as we, as we walk it out determines the eternal place that we will live and where we will arrive. The defining decision on that path that guides and guards every other decision on this path is, what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? And how we live for Jesus. It is not what we say or what we believe. The scripture says it is what we say and we believe. It's easy to say we believe... It's quite another thing to live obediently to the lordship of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10 verse 9, most of us probably have that even memorized. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Jesus then is your Lord. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he becomes your Lord. What does it mean to be Lord? It means to be the ultimate master, to be the decision maker for your life. And so it's not so simple as to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. It's claiming that Jesus Christ is the master of my life, the decision maker of my life. And that God raised him from the dead, believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these are the two are two essentials for soul salvation and transformation now jesus 's sinless life is incredibly important and it is essential it is great news and because Jesus alone is worthy, and Jesus alone was qualified to pay our sin debt because Jesus alone had no sin. And so for us as sinners, when we say, well, we can pay the price for our own sins, it's, it's kind of ridiculous because we're already in debt. But Jesus was not in debt. Jesus was sinless. Therefore, Jesus qualifies to to sacrifice himself as payment for the the, the wrath that the scripture says still hanged over our head, God's wrath. So while we are grateful for the sinless life of Jesus and we are grateful for the crucifixion because it satisfies the wrath of God, and so therefore I can live my life knowing that my sins are forgiven, and that's great news, but when I die, I'm still dead for all eternity. You see, it's the resurrection that gives us hope eternally. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have hope in and we rejoice in because not only can I live forgiven, but I can live forgiven eternally in a relationship with God in his, in his heaven. So without the resurrection, we are without eternal hope. Now we may die forgiven but we still die, and we stay dead. So it's the resurrection that gives us eternal hope. Among all the things that Jesus taught uh, his disciples near the end, in John John sixteen, among those, he told the disciples that it was good for them that he would go away. That he was, he, we would talk about cruc- He would talk about his death and and his, uh, his uh, coming again. But in this, in this last discourse in John 16, he talks a lot about sending the Holy Spirit. And this life-giving spirit would convict sin and lead to holiness. He would bring peace in the midst of spiritual warfare. Satan's trying to get us. Jesus went on to say that he had a lot more than that to teach them, but when he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would be their guide and would guide them into all truth. So when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, for those who believed Jesus Lord and trusted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and eternal, eternal life with him, the Holy Spirit would enter into that believer and would indwell that believer. And therefore, Jesus goes on to say that we are convicted of sin and we are warmed by the peace that he gives us and we are allowed and and... guided toward holiness and we are able to live on purpose because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us that that's only made possible by our confession of Jesus's finished work of resurrection so Jesus's resurrection has made possible our own resurrection and if I were I mean this is I'm going to say this as many in as many different ways as I can to try to get us to understand this so Jesus' resurrection has made possible our resurrection. Eventually, physically, eventually we will experience a bodily resurrection. But already we have experienced resurrection power because our spirits have been resurrected from the dead. So one day, my body will rise. And I eagerly await that to be able to live forever. Forever. But while I'm waiting for a physical resurrection, it's it's not only possible. It is commanded that those of us who believe are already living with resurrection power in our spirits. That is the hope of the resurrection today. So now I can experience resurrection power in my daily life. God's kingdom is there. Where? Where? I don't know, it's there, it's somewhere, it is there. Heaven, holy city comes out of heaven, wherever God is, that's heaven. But God's kingdom is also here. It is then, but it's also now. And so because of Jesus' physical resurrection for those who believe, they will experience their own resurrection physically. But I believe that far too many Christians still wrestle with things that we should put aside and and not wait to experience resurrection power. Our spirits have experienced it now. We are to live as kingdom citizens now. But only the Spirit makes that possible. And so we have to choose every day to intentionally follow Jesus as Lord Not just make confessions about him, follow him as Lord. Those who have believed Jesus is Lord, believers, have already come back to life. And there is a marked transition and transformation for those who walk behind the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ Reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation He has reconciled us to the father so that we can reconcile others to the father as well So how did he accomplish this great reconciliation? Well, if you go back just a couple of verses, you will see this in verse 14 and 15 For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this For one, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Listen, Jesus did not just die so that we could go to heaven, he rose so that he could send heaven here, in us, through us. And by seeing heaven in us and seeing heaven through us, the world would desire Jesus. By seeing heaven's character, heaven's attributes, heaven's love in us, the world would be able to see Jesus through us. Jesus died for us to redeem us from the curse of Of sin and death, the Father proved that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient. How do we know that Jesus' sacrifice was approved? The resurrection. The resurrection proves that Jesus has satisfied the debt. This this is the most critical part of the gospel. And I'm not saying that there are non-critical parts. I am saying that this is the crux of the matter. We are told that we can only be saved if we trust Jesus as the Lord of our lives and believe that Jesus is alive. Now, here's the big question. Do you really believe that Jesus came back from the dead? I mean, you've never known anybody else to do that. You've known people who have claimed to do it. We've never known anyone to do it. Do you really trust, would you stake your life that Jesus is active and alive today? Everything, everything that we believe is culminated or originated in this fact. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty two, if the dead are not raised, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What's the what's the hope of life if not for the hope of resurrection? Amen. So many people call Jesus a great man, they'll call him a great teacher, others call him a great philosopher, and almost everyone agrees that he was a great moral example. And it's interesting because most of what we know about Jesus we find in scripture. And so to believe parts of what Scripture says about Jesus but not everything Scripture says about Jesus is a little bit hypocritical and we get blamed for being hypocrites and we are. But so is the world. It's a convenient faith. Truth be told, Jesus is none of these
0: things if he didn't resurrect from the dead. Jesus isn't a great moral teacher. He's the greatest liar
1: Jesus isn't a great moral philosopher, a great philosopher. Jesus is a liar, if not for the resurrection. Here are some things he promised. Let's just take a quick note and I'm only going to stay in the book of Matthew so that it's not, well, that's the same story written from a different writer. So Matthew 16, 21, here's what Jesus said. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's pretty obvious that Jesus is teaching his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 about his death Matthew 17 22 through 23 and as they were gathering in Galilee Jesus said to them the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day and they were greatly distressed Jesus wasn't hiding anything it stayed hidden he wasn't hiding it he was pretty obvious here In Matthew chapter 20, verse 18, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. There's three times Jesus said he was going to to die and raised the third day. Jesus is proclaiming this. Matthew 26, verse 32. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Over and over, Jesus isn't just a good moral teacher. Jesus is a prophet telling them that he is going to die and he is going to raise again on the third day, rise again. He made some pretty big promises regarding his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So based on this, his integrity and his character are absolutely on the line. And to call him a good teacher is not fair. If he didn't resurrect Now Luke was Very interested The gospel of Luke In the law And uh, uh, Luke was kind of a scholar In legally defending the resurrection He said in Acts chapter 1 verse 3 Which Luke wrote the book of Acts He said he presented himself Talking about Jesus Presented himself alive to them After his suffering By many proofs Appearing to them during 40 days And speaking about the kingdom of God now, this convincing proofs is a very, very interesting word. It it literally means a sure sign, an, an absolute guarantee. It comes from the legal word that refers to conclusive evidence that would hold up in a court of law. Today, we would say beyond reasonable doubt. So what Luke says is that for 40 days, Jesus proved beyond reasonable doubt that he was the resurrected Son of God that atoned for the sins of the world. So now if this is true, this subject, and I would would dare say it is the most scrutinized subject over the last 2,000 years. Because the resurrection of Jesus is either the greatest fact or the greatest lie that the world has ever believed or disbelieved. If it isn't true, it's true in my life, if the resurrection is not true, it changes
0: everything. But if it is true, it changes everything. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians
1: 15, 17, and 18. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. What hope is there apart from the resurrection? So I want us just to kind of today kind of determine what difference, you know, if, if we're waiting for the resurrection to make a difference in our life for when we die, we're waiting too long because the resurrection actually makes a difference in a believer's life today. It's not something that, that pays off when you die. But as you live, it is daily power for life in the believer. And I am convinced that that's where conviction, that's where morality, that's where transformation has gone. Believers who claim, who confess, but are not living in resurrection power. Who who claim, who take on a form of
0: godliness, but deny the power. So if you're a Christian, if you haven't understood up to this moment, if you're a Christian, eternal life for you has already started. You don't live because of the breath that's in your lungs. We live because of the
1: spirit that breathes into our our being. So So the selfish purposes of this life fall away for the selfless purposes of the kingdom of God and working to advance it and learning
0: to love through the heart of Jesus Christ that dwells in us in his spirit well the resurrection is a big deal but it's equally a big deal in our daily lives as well and to discount it and to not claim it is to forfeit the greatest gift the world has ever been given while we live.
1: If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus only so that you can go to heaven, you're missing so much of its intention and its effective power for life today. You see, believing in the resurrection isn't a checklist item for eternity. It gives hope for eternity. I will not discount, cannot discount that. It gives hope for eternity, but it gives just as much hope for today. So why would I believe in Jesus? I mean, if the resurrection is that big of a deal, this is uh, you know, a little bit of an apologetic. Obviously, before Jesus could come back from the dead, he had to actually be dead, right? I mean, that that doesn't take a great apologist to know that. But 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 weirdly enough, I think the resurrection has so much power. If Satan could do damage to one thing about the gospel, if he if he if he were able to dismiss. The resurrection—it would cost us everything. So it's become a debatable issue. It's become quite trendy to love Jesus but not believe
0: his lordship. To claim that he is good, but not claim that he is God.
1: To to turn him into some kind of victim that lived a good life and then his biography was taken over by these men who, who wanted to, to, to get him to say things that he wouldn't say and to tell things that, he did, that didn't happen and to embellish his life. Jesus' life and teaching has power, but the resurrection puts that power in us. Now, these, there, there are people who would say that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. I talked to some of them. They don't deny what the witnesses saw, that Jesus came back on the third day. They just can't believe that he was dead and came back to life. They believe that either Jesus fainted on the cross or he went into some sort of shock. He fell unconscious, but he didn't really die.
0: It's just that everybody thought he was dead. Might make sense, right? In fact, probably easier to believe that.
1: On the other side of faith, Jesus fainted, and then he was taken to the tomb, and this cool, healing air in the spa tomb revived him after three days. And he
0: woke up and he said, huh, what happened? In other words, he wasn't resurrected. He was
1: only resuscitated. And you say, well, what difference does it make? Well, it makes a huge amount of difference because sin's either paid for or it's not. So there's a tiny, few tiny problems with this, though. If you look at the scripture, first of all, you have to look at this as John nineteen thirty four says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. That's a pretty, that's a pretty important detail. I mean, if you're gonna claim that Jesus didn't really die, Jesus had been beaten, Scripture says, beyond recognition. He was nailed through his hands, his wrists, and his feet to a wooden cross. And in order to breathe, he would have to push up on the spikes in his feet to fill his lungs with air. And while he sagged, the bones and ligaments would pull away from their places While his body supported his weight, he was on the cross for more than six hours with immense blood loss through the flogging that most men died through with their innards hanging out. One of the gospel writers said that Pilate was surprised that Jesus had died so quickly. So he had a centurion come and give him a report about uh, Jesus's death. And so this on-site crucifixion expert of death came and said... No, he's dead He's dead But yeah, I'm sure that today's skeptics Know more than this guy, the eyewitness I'm sure that they are Smarter John tells us that just to make sure That Jesus was dead, the Roman Thrust his spear into his side and between his ribs and punctured the sack around his heart, as well as the heart itself. And this clear water-like fluid and blood came out. This is even more, and I'm not going to go through all of this, but the medical proof in and of itself that Jesus died because the blood had already begun to clot and separate from the water. This only happens after a person is dead. It's a medical fact. Jesus Christ was dead on the cross. But the grave clothes are also pretty, pretty good proof. Uh, I would say convincing proof and beyond reasonable doubt Once they took Jesus off the cross He was taken by the Roman guard And by the way when you say that Roman guard uh, We think of a few guys But a guard of soldiers Was 600 men That were responsible For the torture of Jesus Now I don't know what part all of them played But this isn't just a couple of retired guys Looking for a little weekend work they're trying to make a statement. These guys took Jesus off the cross and he was taken by the guard to the tomb where he was wrapped in traditional grave cloth. Scripture tells us, strips of cloth like a mummy. The Jews would wrap dead bodies in grave clothes and sometimes would use up to a hundred pounds of spices. To Preserve the body. In fact, okay, well, Jesus didn't have whatever. All right, that's fine. In John chapter 19, verse 39, Joseph of Arimathea asked for Jesus' body and Pilate gave it. It said that he prepared the body with 75 pounds of spices between the layers. Now, the head would also be wrapped separately. The mouth and the nose, this, uh, listen, I have claustrophobia, so talking about this. Creates quite an ordeal inside of me When I wrote it It wasn't as bad as about to say it But the mouth and the nose Would be filled with spices and cloth Now They would work To seal those clothes To be as airtight as possible Around the corpse And then the body Would have been placed In a mostly airtight tomb With no air circulating But I'm sure that this was healing For this fainted person now let's just for skeptic's sake let's suppose that jesus got through this process of being wrapped like a mummy without letting anybody know he was alive and peter and john got to the tomb the grave clothes were exactly where they started the Greek is a very important word here. Heliso. It, uh, some some translations say uh, wrapped. Some says folded. It's it's a it's a very very complicated word. It, it kind of means to be to be wrapped. So when you would translate this, you know you would say well is is wrapped. And you know I, I don't I don't know if anybody would say that about like a, a a towel or something. Hey, wrap this up. You know it means to roll it up. Or what what does it mean to twist it up? It's open for a lot of uh, interpretation. But in this context, it actually means to be wrapped. So when you read this, a lot of times even a lot of our songs talk about the, the face cloth being neatly folded. That scripture doesn't say that, okay? What it does say is that the face cloth is wrapped like it would have been wrapped around his head steel. And it was separated from the grave clothes, which means that Jesus didn't get up and unwrap himself. When Peter and John got to the tomb, the body was not in the cloth anymore. And that face part had been untouched. It was still like like a face had been in, a head had been in it, but the head wasn't there anymore. So I'm sure that when Jesus got up, he made his bed and made sure that all those clothes, boy, these guys will get a kick out of this when they get here. Uh, I think my nose would come up a little bit, poke up. I mean, this isn't some resort in Cancun where they're making these towel animals. The the tomb wasn't rolled back. The stone wasn't rolled back so that Jesus could get out.
0: Jesus was already out. It was so we could get in. But I'm sure that this man with his back wide open and his
1: Ligaments in his hands and his feet being torn apart got up and rolled that 20-ton stone uphill away. And then he fought
0: the soldiers so that he could get away and then go hide. I just don't think that's what happened. The only logical position, and this is from the eyewitnesses, is that Jesus died and was resurrected?
1: Remember that Luke very proudly said that convincing proofs, beyond reasonable doubt, that made the resurrection so obvious. One thing that's never been disputed in 2,000 years is this on that resurrection Sunday morning, the very first resurrection Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. It's never been denied. Nobody has ever said, no, he was there. They just didn't see him. Everybody agrees. Jesus was not in the tomb. Some of the guard went off to the chief priest to tell them about the encounter. Remember, again, this is their eyewitness account of the the earthquake. And they saw the stone rolled away. And they went back to the chief priest and said, Jesus is resurrected. This was their statement to the chief priest. And the chief priest said, here are some money. Shut your mouth. Your job is to tell everybody that, the, that somebody came and stole the body of Jesus while you were asleep. And they said, well, if we find out that we were asleep, they'll kill us. No, no, no. We'll take care of that. We'll bail you out of trouble. If anybody says, well, you know, the penalty for sleeping on the job's death. No, no, no. We'll, we'll take care of that. We'll, we'll give them some hush money too. I mean, listen, if you're going to go to court and you're going to have to give a testimony, your your testimony can't be this. This is what happened while I was asleep. That doesn't hold up very well. Matthew 28, 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Listen, the the soldiers and the chief priests,
0: they still haven't denied the resurrection. They're trying to cover it up. They're not in disbelief. You have to ask yourself the question. Why would the chief priests want to
1: cover it up? Why would they come up with... With this kind of story Well it's easy Because you only have two options here Either a man took him out of the tomb And you got to explain that While your soldiers are on duty Or God raised him from the dead And we can't be having God Raising him from the dead That threatens our position in society
0: So if man raised him from the dead Then you got two options It had to be friends or enemies
1: so let's talk about friends first. So here's the possibility. Friends stole the body. Three obstacles to that, by the way. There were, the, the, the Greek word is, um, uh, you, you read guard, sometimes you think of like security or something like that, but, but the word that actually is used is soldiers. These were soldiers. They weren't just like security uh, guards. No offense to security guards. Uh, but they were, they were elite special forces. And we have no idea how many of them there were. There were, there were at least four, some say as many as uh, 50 to, to 100. They're well-trained, they're highly disciplined men. They, they all are carrying a six-foot spear, a three-foot sword and a dagger on one side and a shield on the other. Now, three days ago, these guys were running naked in the woods to get away from these guys. But, but you want me to believe that that these disciples who were running scared three days ago are all of a sudden with their fishing nets getting ready to fight in their accounting books, getting ready to fight this elite group of soldiers and win and roll a 20-ton stone uphill. I, say, I keep saying uphill because uh, the way, way they would carve it is to close it, it would roll downhill. But to open it back up, you'd have to, you know, some some people would say that it'd take as many as twenty grown men to roll this just a few feet. I think it's a far stretch to believe that these these disciples took. And and, and you know, besides the soldiers, you've got the stone. The stone was rolled in front of the tomb. So you know, how, how are these guys going to move the stone? Rome also had commissioned a seal to be put around the stone which would be like a melted wax with the signet inside of it to anybody that broke that seal would be facing death. It's highly unlikely that Jesus' friends took his body from the tomb. I don't know how, but they didn't expect him to rise from the dead. I don't know why they would go back in to get him. So what's the possibility of his enemy stealing the body? Well, listen, they were trying to keep him in there. They didn't want him out, right? And if somebody were to say, well, where did Jesus' body go? Wouldn't it really, I mean, listen, these are, Rome ruled the world. If if I'm looking to look at these 11 guys who did steal the body of Jesus, all I'm going to do is threaten them with their life and say, give us the body back or we'll kill you. Okay, here's the body back. Uh, and if I'm an enemy of Jesus and I don't want the resurrection to be true, all I'd have to do three days later is say, "Listen, he did not resurrect. Here he is. No, it wasn't an enemy that took him; it wasn't his friends that took him. And we know that the massive number of people—we don't really don't know for sure how many—at least five hundred witnesses over the next. Some even say five hundred at one time saw Jesus in at least ten different occasions over the next. 40 days he appeared indoors and outdoors and he appeared in locker rooms and um, seasides and you know there are really he was in the morning and he was in the evening I mean there wasn't a time where Jesus wasn't around some of these he ate he walked he continued teaching in fact he gave them a lot more information about the kingdom so these witnesses are very very important in our trust that Jesus was resurrected because they were all threatened with death and it could be one thing if there were only a few guys who were locked in an upper room that nobody else saw. But when 500 people give you the same information, that probably stands up in court. But, but these, these first-generation believers, they, they suffered torture. They were beheaded. They were imprisoned. Some of them were crucified. Now, Jesus had already taught a lot. Jesus was already a good man before. But when push come to shove, they were running away from pressure. But there was a significant... Even after the, resurre- even after the crucifixion, they're hiding.
0: But after the resurrection, after the resurrection, it changed everything. And
1: when threatened to keep their mouth shut, when threatened... To lie about what they had seen. They could not get the courage to lie
0: because what they had seen had marked them so significantly. And they and they defied the law and they defied the odds.
1: And they went out boldly proclaiming that Jesus is alive. I mean, all of them, all of the original. 11, 10 died. Tragic martyred lives. John was the only one who didn't die, but probably
0: suffered the longest and the most, exiled and boiled in oil. Can you imagine? Proclaiming. I cannot deny the resurrection. I saw him. Why would anybody give their life for what they know is Some people may may, you know, die for what they think is true. No one dies for what they know isn't true. But you know what? We don't see them saying, "Oh, the resurrection."
1: Um, can't wait till we die so we can experience it. Now, they're not waiting. They begin immediately living in resurrection power. Immediately. Their lives completely, radically
0: change. You know, everybody everybody's going to die. And we either die
1: having rejected Jesus or having received Jesus. And receiving Jesus makes means making more than a confession but making him lord because of the resurrection and so i say do you really believe in the resurrection because i tell you if you really believe in the resurrection the only option is lordship it's the only option not
0: lordship for eternity lordship for now because eternity has already begun In Romans chapter four, verse twenty-eight, it says, "He was hand uh, four twenty-five
1: rather. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God." You see, the empty tomb is proof that God accepted Jesus for the payment that you owed, that I owed. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 And he was shown to be the son of God When he raised from the dead By the power of the Holy Spirit Now I want you to notice something here real quick Galatians chapter 1 verse 1 says The father raised Jesus from the dead 1 Peter three eighteen says The spirit raised Jesus from the dead John chapter 2 verse 19 Jesus predicted that he would raise himself Back up from the dead And in, in uh, John chapter 10 verse 18 He says no man takes my life from me But I lay it down so that I may take it up again So Jesus you know, claims that he resurrected himself. So, in this resurrection, you've got the work of the Father, the work of the Spirit, and the work of the Son. All of the Trinity is involved in Jesus taking his life back up again. And all of the Trinity is involved in your life today if you claim Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Father has a plan for your life. Jesus has made the way to the Father and the Spirit can give you life today to live on purpose, to live forgiven, to be able to live holy, to have the peace of God, to be able to be warmed by the Spirit and to be able to live intentionally for Jesus Christ every day and to give him glory. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Listen, you can't, we can't even understand Or experience what real life is until you find it in the resurrection of Jesus.
0: You see, the fact that Jesus Christ came
1: back from the grave and that he came out of the tomb tells me that death does not have the final say in my life. In fact, every day, I want you to listen to this very clearly... Every day should have its own death because every day has resurrection power. This is why mercy is new every morning because I need it. That's why grace is sufficient for the day because I need it. But in order to have grace and mercy, I've got to die to the reason I need grace and mercy. I mess up a lot, and I'm in constant need for grace and mercy. So thank God there can be a death to me every day so that I can take hold of the resurrection every day. It's not a one and done. It's a daily. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day day Romans 8:36 for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered Paul's talking about this ongoing when you die to yourself daily Jesus says take up your cross daily and follow me in fact he says if you don't take up your cross you're not fit to be called a disciple when you die to yourself daily You can live in resurrection power. This is why I say, do you really believe in the resurrection? Because if you really believe in the resurrection, then you have to believe in the resurrection for today. And if you believe in that, then you have to live in that power. You can't just believe it. You have to live in it. That's how you prove it. Philippians 3, 7 says, But whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things but I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." You see, living, a lot of people say you got to live with the end in mind. No, you don't have to. That's not necessary. We should live with today's death in mind so that we can live in the power of today's resurrection. And in that way, death, physical death, is just kind of a phase that we go through. Just kind of transition period. It's not a defining moment just a transition because we have eternal hope and eternity has already begun one of these days we're going to see our very last sunrise one of these days we're going to leave home for the very last time but regardless from now to that day we can say with Paul 1 Corinthians 15 55 O death
0: where is your victory Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the
1: resurrection and the life. You see, look at this. I am the resurrection is much different than I have resurrected. One is a thing that I am. One is a thing that I did. And it's really important to know the difference because what Jesus is proclaiming here is because he resurrects, he is able to give himself to us. And he is resurrection. So when you walk with Jesus as Lord, you are walking in resurrection. And, I, and, I'm, and listen, I want to make this as, as plain as I can possibly make it. There may be things in our life that we do not want to experience. There may be addictions. There may be brokenness. There may be relational issues that we go through. There may be uh, lots of regret and lots of guilt and lots of shame. There's not a person in this world that doesn't experience some of that. Not a person. Every one of us have those things in common. But there is not one of those things that can experience resurrection power. Every every death can experience resurrection in Jesus Christ. Every brokenness, every heartache, every ounce of guilt and shame finds resurrection when Jesus is Lord.
0: So you don't only need to decide if you believe it is true, you need need to decide what you're going to do
1: with it. We come to celebrate the resurrection, but the resurrection as defining a moment as it was in time, has its own power for every day for those who follow Jesus. You know, when Jesus was headed to and hanging on the cross, everyone was demanding Jesus to save himself. I mean, think about it. In, in, in all of the Gospels, you can go back and look at it. Everyone that Jesus came into contact with expected Jesus or, or asked Jesus to save himself. The guards expected him to try, even in the garden. Pilate asked him to. Herod asked him to. The priest asked him to. The council asked him to. The crowd asked him to. The soldiers asked him to. Even the thieves on the cross said, you've saved others. Can you not save yourself and us? One of the criminals hanging behind beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, or you prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said,
0: Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I
1: assure you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Listen, this man, we're talking about brokenness. We're talking about the need for resurrection. And regardless of how far you are away from Jesus as Lord, right? This man knew nothing he didn't know any big theological words. He didn't know anything about soteriology and what Christ has done. He doesn't know the word, you know, um, imputation. And he doesn't know where salvation comes from. He hasn't been baptized. He's not joined a church. He's not heard Jesus teach. He, didn't, he hadn't taught a class. He hadn't learned the secrets of fasting and prayer. He didn't quote the books of the Bible. Maybe he has even read Scripture. But here he was, desperate for hope. Desperate for hope, and he knew it. And in his last moments of life, he doesn't even know enough to to ask, what must I do to be saved? Do you know why he doesn't know? Because there's nothing left. (laughs) This guy can't even reach in his pocket. He's got nothing
0: left. Except, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And it was enough. It was enough, and Jesus
1: said, surely, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. I don't know. I, I wasn't there, and I'm not trying to just be super emotional here, but every time that I think about this man's salvation experience, we don't even really know which side he was on, but I just... I just see him pictured there, and all of these events circulating around him, and it's getting dark, and the earthquake, and the veil turns and rips in two, and I just kind of picture—I just kind of picture this thief, kind of just like with a, kind of just a, a half grin. Those last few moments, those last few breaths, because he had
0: already—he had already skipped into eternity. I don't know already had begun to live
1: for the first time. And as soon as he took his last breath, he began to live again. And we can too. You don't, there's not a, a checklist that you have to know or information you have to have. There's not classes you have to attend and there's not you know, all of these hoops and obstacles that people have you jump through. All you have to know is that you're desperate for hope. And choose to put Jesus as the Lord of the kingdom. And that's enough. That's enough. And the resurrection proves that it's enough. So if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I beg you today, believe in the resurrection. Believe in the resurrection. Yes, put a check by it. But live in the power of it. Every day, God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has hope for you. He has a life for
0: you. That apart from him, you're forfeiting. And if you're here today and you're afraid or you're broken, or maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you're cold, Jesus can bring you back to life. That's what he does. He brings dead things back to life.
1: Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word.
0: We thank you for your life. We thank you for giving both of them to us. And this morning, as we are assembled
1: together, I know our needs are as many as our number. But one thing is for certain... We all are equally desperate for life.
0: We're desperate for forgiveness. We're desperate for your life in us. Some know it. Some don't. Some are
1: willing. Some reject it. I think that you know, there, there are some, even the disciples were a little skeptical when they heard about the resurrection. More skeptical than the chief priests who believed in the resurrection but wanted no part in it because it threatened what they wanted in their life. But Lord, I pray that to today, while we say we believe in the resurrection that we're taking hold of the power that belongs to it. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, as we have prayed, that today would be the defining day for each one of us that we are going to walk with Jesus as Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Will you stand, please? I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If, if there is a need in your life, if there is a, a brokenness that you want to bring to the tomb, if there is a relationship that you want to bring to the tomb, if there is a, a heartbreak, if there is a maybe an, even an addiction or some form of healing that you need or spiritual lostness, I beg you today, if you want to pray by yourself, you can. We have altars up here. There's just something about staking your claim and, and surrendering at an altar. But if you don't want to do that, I beg you today, make sure that you make Jesus Christ the Lord and master of your life. If you want to talk to somebody about how to do that, I will make myself available. We have many, many others here today that I can call upon that will help you find that. But do not leave here today without Jesus as Lord. Christ, let's sing together. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for revealing all that we need. And now we are responsible for those truths. I know there are folks here today I know that recognize their need but don't know what to do so what I, my prayer publicly is that you will not relent you will continue to pursue continue to speak Lord don't let us go to our own way if you're here this morning and you know there's a decision that you need to make don't leave today without talking with me or someone don't carry death around with you you're not meant to carry death you're meant to carry life and to give it away Father, I just pray that as we go, you would go with us as Lord and Master. Thank you. You alone are worthy. May we set ourselves aside from the throne and bow before yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.
0: If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.